Thank you. Just ask you to turn in your Bibles to First Peter, chapter one, from verse eighteen, and we're really going to be finishing off what we started uh, last week. So, First Peter, chapter one, from verse eighteen. We read Peter says, "For you know that it was not with perishable things." such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now we looked at that last time and focused on the, the blood of Christ, but this is what we're going to be looking at this week. It goes on. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Thank God for his word. Let's come and pray together. Father, we thank you that we do have a hope because you are a faithful God. We thank you for your many ways that you just demonstrate your faithfulness to us. And we thank you for the opportunity as we bring our offering to acknowledge your faithfulness and your lordship over our lives. But Lord, we know that you are faithful through your word, that you speak through your word and speak into the hearts of your people. Lord, may your word find a, a ready response in each person's heart here today. And may we give to you, respond to you, be obedient to you in whatever way you call us to. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the, the last time we were together and looked at First Peter, some of you, I hope, will remember that we began to look at, at lost treasures of the Christian faith. That is vitally important aspects of our faith that for one reason or another have been forgotten, ignored, <laughs> hidden. One or the other, maybe all of them, by the church of today. But they also, all in one way or another, are all related to the holy, transformed life that has a central place in this first chapter of First Peter. Or at least, last time, we looked at a lost treasure. Because it was so important, so central, we really had to spend all our time on it. The first of three treasures in this passage in First Peter, that is the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ, which is the reason for our holiness. That which enables us, sets us free, puts us in the place where we can be holy. Because you see, the blood of Christ has two very definite, dramatic effects. First, it deals with our sin, in that it pays the penalty of our sin, and in that it also breaks the power of sin. 
Sin still has a limited power. It does, even the lives of those who love Jesus and what's left of the old man, the old self. So we can then still be tempted if we choose to be or if we don't take hold of the protection that is ours in Christ. But in Christ, by his death, by virtue of his sacrificial blood shed on the cross for us, sin's dominating power, sin's compelling power, Satan's dominating compelling power has been broken. Now today I want to go on this morning to look at the other two lost treasures that we find in these verses. And the first one that I want to to look at with you is to do with the root of our holiness. To do with that which brings that, that holy transformed life to birth in us. And it is, and not surprisingly, it is the word of God. Verse 23. For you have been born again, not of imperish, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Now this is obviously speaking of new life, speaking of the beginnings of new life in Christ. But some of you might want to object here, but isn't it the Holy Spirit that brings new birth in Christ. But of course, the answer here is that both are involved in bringing us to new birth. Both the Word and the Spirit. It's simply the case that here, it's the part that the Word plays that's given emphasis by Peter. And two important points here are made about God's Word. First of all, that it is a living Word. That God's word has a power about it, as it's read and studied and preached and expounded, a power that is unlike any mere human words. The power to convict us of our sin. The power to convict us of our need of a saviour and to convict us of the fact that Jesus Christ is that saviour. And so to bring us to, to the point of faith and of new life in Christ is Hebrews 4.12 says there of the word of God, it says it is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitude of the heart. But not only is God's word living, its importance doesn't only lie in that. No, it's also Eternal. It is an enduring word. Verse 23. Eternal. In that once we come to faith in Christ, eternal in that this then is something that can never be taken from us. Once we have put our trust in him through his word, once we have new life in him, we are his forevermore. But the word is also eternal. It's also enduring. In that it is always eternally relevant to the needs of men. Because you see, here is a word, here is a Bible that was first gathered together, first collected thousands of years ago, over many years. But read this word today and it speaks right into our lives as individuals and the life of the church, the life of, of modern society. 
And it is because of this, it is because it is living and powerful, it is because it is enduring and eternal, it is because of this, of priceless value. <coughs> Nothing in this world has anything approaching the value of the Word of God. Verse 24, For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Now, there are two points that, that I want to make here as a result of, of all that we've shared. Two points I want to make about the word of God. First, that the word of God should, must be kept absolutely central in our evangelism. Now, I say this because there's a lot said today about preaching not being a particularly effective method of communication. A lot said about this being a visual age and how we've got to be more visual in our communication. Well, I want to say, let me say, I'm all for variety in our presentation of the gospel. You know, multimedia, drama, music, whatever you want, properly and well done, I'm all for it. But not at the expense of the word of God. Because you see, this word is a word unlike any other. It's not the opinions of men we're sharing. It's not what's popular in culture. It is the word of God. The living, powerful, eternal word of God. The word that has about it a timeless, spiritual power that cannot ever be replaced by anything else. Not even by slick, high-tech, 21st century presentations. I mean, if nothing else... It's only the Word of God, I believe, that can deliver the kind of detail that's necessary before somebody can make a truly, fully informed response to Jesus Christ. And I, I would say to you, if we try and diminish God's Word, you know the kind of thing, you know, people in this TV age can't listen, they don't have the ability to concentrate, listen to sermons anymore. Well, I tell you, if we do this, then we're making a fatal mistake. For while sermons don't have to perhaps be as long as they sometimes are, and while those who preach should always strive the best they can to present the Word of God in the best possible way, and as part of that be varied and creative in what else we do in our services, yet if we take the Word of God out of its central place in our evangelism, and I fear today more churches are losing their nerve and doing just that. Well, what kind of Christians are we going to produce? What kind of foundation, what kind of birth and beginning into the Christian life? Because conversion comes by the Spirit and by the Word. However, as well as this, the Word needs to be not only seen as central to our evangelism, not just that. Now, if we're going to live the kind of holy, transformed life that God's, God has for us, it is his will, then it has to be seen also as crucial in regard to our doctrine. Crucial in regard, central to our understanding of our faith and of our ongoing Christian living, the way we should live out our faith. And what I mean by this is that, that we should measure everything that is taught to us. And everything in terms of our response to this. We should measure our lifestyle and our behaviour. We should measure 
at all by the teaching of God's word. And if we can't find direct parallels in the word of God, then we, to me- then we need to measure these things that were taught against the clear, basic principles of Scripture. And whatever doesn't tie in with this should be rejected. It should be. And my concern is that I don't see this happening in the church of today in the way that it should be, in, in the way that perhaps it once did. No, Scripture is no longer the yardstick in the church against which we measure all things. We have, in part, in places in the church, devalued the word of God. We see it as having a diminished importance. You see, the first question people so often ask today is, not is something right and true in terms of its relation to the word of God, but rather the question asked is, does it make me feel good? Is it exciting? And if it it does this, then too often, rather than measure that against the word of God, What people instead do is they try and justify what they teach and practice their behaviour by all sorts of twisted and even at times illogical interpretations of God's word. And you see, that is totally the wrong way around. And this worries me. It does. Because when the church ceases to hold fast, ceases to keep central God's word, then we are wide open to every kind of deception. In Matthew 24, 24, it talks of, in the last days, it talks of the possibility of even the elect, God's chosen, being deceived. As the elect focus their attention on miracles and signs and wonders that are done by false Christs, false apostles, rather than by the word of God. Now I say that as I look around the church today and as I see churches that, that would claim to be even evangelical and say they believe the Bible as I see them belittling and ignoring the plain teaching of God's word I see signs that more and more that we're seeing the reality of what the Bible talks of happening in our own day. So I would want to say to you let's make sure that we are among the faithful, the discerning, and not among the deceived. Let's keep the word of God at the very heart of our life. Well, we've looked at two hidden forgotten treasures of the church so far. The blood of Christ, which is the reason for our holiness, the reason why we are able to be holy. The word of God, which is the root of our holiness. That's the beginning, that's the seed from which new life and holy life comes from. Well, let's finish now by looking at our third forgotten treasure. And it is, it's love, which is the result of holiness. Should be the result of holiness. And and what we're talking about here is that if we have truly been set free by the blood of Christ to be holy, and if we have been born again by the Word and by the Spirit of God into a holy, transformed life, into basically living at least something of the life of Jesus Christ, then the way primarily that will show itself in our lives is by love. By the presence of a new love, a new capacity to love in each of our lives. As it says here in verse 22, it says, Now that you have purified yourselves 
by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. Now the interesting thing here, though, is that in this verse, two different words in this one verse for love are used. And for me, that would seem to suggest at least something of a growth, of a progression in love. That is, at the beginning here, there's love for the brothers. And the word that's used there is, is, actually, is actually the Greek word for brotherly love, for family love. It's love then for those who we find it easy to get on with. Those who we naturally love, those who we share things in common, people who are like-minded to ourselves. Now this isn't a love I think that, that we should belittle, because this is a valuable love, it's a, a precious love. And certainly not when, as is the case here, as we're told, that, that this love is sincere. That it's not just a matter of putting on a front, not just a matter of mouthing the right words of appearance, but this love is something that's real, real and genuine love. However, I would ask you to notice that the believers here are told to move on, I believe, from this love. To love one another deeply from the heart. Now you see, the word that's used in this instance is derived from the word agape. Derived from that word that's used only in the Bible to speak of the special, unique love of God, of Christ, and then of the people of God. That love that's about loving those who we don't find it naturally easy to love. That love that's about loving the ungrateful, the difficult, people who are awkward, perhaps even who are unwholesome, who we find unwholesome in the way we live and the things that you do. Now, I don't know about you, but I hope I see something of this kind of progression in my Christian life. You see, I don't know about you, I don't know your experience, but to me it seems that at the, Christ, at the beginning of your Christian life, everybody seems to be, you're in that kind of exuberance, like a brother or a sister. And maybe it's because the relationships are new. Maybe it's because you haven't really got to know one another yet. Or maybe it's because when you're newly converted, everyone is especially nice to you. I don't know, but, but early in the Christian life, it does seem, for many people, so easy to love. It's just the overflow of that exuberance. But then you see, as time goes by, I don't know, maybe the Lord calls you into to ministries where you're called to deal with particularly needy or difficult people. Or perhaps it's just that you really get to know people in the church and you decide that some of them are pretty needy and definitely difficult. But I would always counsel here, don't forget that they're probably thinking the same about you. But you see, it's the fact that you are able to love difficult people, ungrateful people, in difficult circumstances, it's actually this that shows that the life of Christ and so the love of Christ is there within you. You see, this is the ultimate proof. Not flowery prayers, not a complicated knowledge of theology. No, it is love that is the proof that your holiness, that your spiritual life is real. And I have to say then, in this light, that it does amaze me sometimes. When I find people who seem to want to claim, from their, claim for themselves all sorts of spiritual experience and spiritual maturity, and yet 
who are unwilling to love certain people. They're held in bondage by anger, by bitterness, by unforgiveness. They're holding grudges. I want to say to you, that does not tie in with somebody who's been set free by the blood of Christ. With someone who's been born again by the word of God into a holy life. And it certainly does not tie in with spiritual maturity. It doesn't. It shows rather that we don't yet really fully appreciate the blood, the cross, and the word as we should. Because you see, they all cry out forgiveness. They all cry out grace, undeserved love. And it shows that perhaps the, the claims that are made that people who are in this position are at best spiritually immature and perhaps not even spiritual at all. But you know, I believe and hope for better things among God's people here in Hamilton. I believe that you do want to be holy. I believe it. So I would say to you again then, treasure the blood of Christ, the cross of Christ. Keep this at the center of your faith and life experience. Treasure the word of God. Make this word your yardstick that you measure your life and the faith that is taught to you by. And treasure love. Cultivate love. Seek to grow in love. Deal with anything in your life that's stopping you loving as you should love in Christ. Treasure these things. Don't forget them. Don't ignore them. Turn your back on them. Don't hide them. Treasure these things. The blood, the word, and love. Treasure them. And you will, by God's grace, in the power of the Holy Spirit, grow into holiness. Let's pray together. Father, you're the God who sees the hearts of each one of your people. You're the God who knows our needs, who knows our shortcomings. And you're the God who's able to, to minister in life-giving power, Holy Spirit power, through your word. You're able to shine light into those dark corners where there's maybe things and just memories and grudges from years ago that we've been holding on to. Father, we pray, free us from that bondage. Help us to bring these things before you. Help us to seek your forgiveness, the ability then to forgive. Help us to seek your love, that we may love as you do. Lord, be with us. Move in our hearts. Use us to reflect your holiness. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.